everyone, welcome in to yet another episode of the MLS Bench Podcast. I am Joey, with me today is Andres. Matt has to deal with some real-life work stuff, which we, we probably all get. Um, so he'll be back next week, probably. But it's just me and Andres again this week to touch on what has been a full week of MLS action. Because, and Andres, let's just jump right in with this, CCL was back last week, last midweek was the first the first games of the CONCACAF Champions League returning for another season. Last year, MLS, if you don't remember, got its first ever champion, the Seattle Sounders, who uh, played one game and lost in the subsequent FIFA Club World Cup. That is the prize for the eventual winner of this con- uh, this competition. So we kicked off with a round of 16 of the CONCACAF Champions League last week. Austin played on the first day, and Andres... I'll welcome you with this. How are you doing? And and that result, that result to kick off CONCACAF Champions League was by far the worst result and certainly didn't leave me hopeful for anything in the future. Good to, good to be back. Excited to, to be here for another week. And if you thought that last year uh, was the big monkey off the back for, for MLS, you got a dose of reality right away. First game, first half, uh, Austin go to the Dominican Republic, so it's not even in Haiti. And just get this, you know, basically destroyed a really, really pretty terrible performance uh, from a rotated lineup, uh, to be fair. But Violette came out and played well and attacked the right side of Austin's defense, got all over them. And just, you know, kind of reminds you that you have to be on uh, against any opponent, uh, even in the region. And, and Austin got a dose of reality right away. So pretty brutal start for MLS. It got better from there, but but yeah, <laughs> what a way to start the tournament. Yeah, exactly. The reason I said I was not feeling hopeful is because, like you said, I thought I was the monkey off the back. All these MLS teams are going to come in feeling energized, ready to defend this MLS kind of victory you know, for the whole league. And Austin comes in, plays a Haitian team in a neutral site, and gets just absolutely smoked. There was like a marching band in the stands, which made it even that much more concacafy. I'm like, oh, okay. Like... Whatever Seattle was able to do, CONCACAF will survive. But uh, yeah, it, it was 3 0 to Violette. It'll go back to Austin, and Austin will probably field their full side. I think the question is can they, you know, beat Violette by a 3 nothing result, or th- therefore more than um, three goals? Because obviously, with the away goals, if Violette, you know, if it's 4 1 Austin, Violette would go through on away goals. So Austin either has to go 3 0, which would take it into penalties, or win by more than three goals. Uh, to win the tie, and it did get more positive from there on out. Uh, to finish off, uh, was it last Tuesday? The Union drew Alianza at Alianza, so that's an all right result in El Salvador. And then I think really the best result from that first day of MLS sides was Orlando going to Tigres. A pretty good showing, you know, from from the Tigres fans. It wasn't that dead of an atmosphere, and they got a draw, which I think. Orlando will take that as an absolute win. Do you think that you know that's a, a great result for the Andres? Because I think it, it's a very positive. Oh yeah! Anytime you can go down to to Mexico and and get a result in CCL, uh, it is going to be you have to take that as a as a positive. And especially this Tigres side, uh, Tigres probably the favorite for the whole tournament. They they bought Nico Ibanez from from Pachuca for like twelve million dollars. Uh, on top of Pierre Guignac and everything they have in that team. So 
Uh, Tigres, not only is it a uh, Mexican side, it's it's probably the best Mexican side at the time at the at the moment. So to go down there in your first uh, CCL experience, get a nil nil draw, um, and come back home, you know I think it's it's still a tough ask because you gotta you've got to beat them basically at home because any draw other than nil nil and Tigres will go through. But um, I think it's a it's a really good result and gives you a, a fighter's chance going into the home leg. Yeah, I think definitely a fighter's chance because that, like again, all they need is one. Now, Gaiese did you know play very well, and let, let's not say that you know if Tigres shell Orlando City again, that that same result can be produced. But certainly they're going to be you know heartened heading back home, and if they knock out Tigres, that that's a very quality team that's out of the competition from the non MLS base of teams. And if we look at another really strong non-MLS team, or what we thought was a not strong, or a a strong non-MLS team in Atlas, they got smoked by Olympia 4-1. And so you you could be looking at if Orlando takes care of business in their home stadium, you could be looking at two premier Liga Mekki sides out of the competition in the first round, which really clears the way for any one of our five MLS teams to get the job done um, en route to the final. Uh, and then the the really uh, positive MLS results came as the uh, Wednesday and Thursday. Vancouver hosted Real España um, on Wednesday night at BC Place and absolutely drubbed the away side five to nothing, five nothing. Andres from a Vancouver Whitecaps team that has had trouble scoring goals in MLS, absolutely demolish uh, the Honduran side at at their home stadium in Canada. So, you know, a bit a bit of a trip upcoming for them. And then LAFC go down to Alajuelense in Costa Rica, beat them 3-0. Denny Buwanga gets a second-half hat trick, a great showing from the LAFC fans down in Costa Rica, and they'll come home needing to do the bare minimum uh, to secure this tie. Which one of those games was more... Um, I guess impressive to you was it the five nil Whitecaps at home or the three nil LAFC on the road? No, it's gonna be LAFC three nil on the road. Um, Alajuense probably the best team in Costa Rica, probably the best team in Central America. Um, multiple time Concacaf League uh, champions, and it, it was a pretty good atmosphere in Costa Rica. The stadium was full. Um, that corner of the 3252 was really impressive and fun to watch. Um, how how passionate and how much noise they were making uh, down there, and to go down there in a tough place to play and come back with three away goals, three uh, zero. That's you know really impressive. Not to take away from from Vancouver and what they did, but but three nothing in Costa Rica is a heck of a result. Yeah, I was super shocked by that because I know that LAFC is a quality side. But 3-0 on the road is just, I mean, by any team in any CONCACAF venue is just super impressive. Like, I would measure, or I, I, I would hesitate to say that Alhuense um, is a much better side than uh, Violet, right? I, I think that they are head and shoulders above, like you said. They have that CONCACAF League uh, experience, you know, CONCACAF League champions many times. One of the premier you know, clubs in Costa Rica. Violette is a side that I'm not. I don't know the last time they made it in the Concacaf Champions League. Uh, they host Austin, beat them three nil at a neutral site, right in the Dominican Republic. 
whereas Aljuense hosts LAFC and gets drubbed. So I don't know what the difference is there. I, I think it's very impressive from LAFC. Now they did play a much stronger lineup than Austin, but hey, I think you know, you, you'll take that any way you can, and now you come home needing to do basically nothing uh, to advance, and I, I bet LAFC can put out a second a second team and, and you know cruise uh, in to the uh, the last eight of the competition. I think that Philadelphia um, should also get the job done at home. They only need a, a win of any any number of goals to secure their uh, advancement past Alianza of El Salvador. Uh, they were down the Cusa Clan uh, in the first leg, which is uh, harking back to some recent USMNT nights. But uh, yeah, Philadelphia Union just need a win at home to advance past Alianza. Orlando just needs a win to advance past Tigres. Uh, the, the one that will be interesting to me, Andres, I don't know if this will be interesting to you too, is uh, Vancouver heading down to Honduras to take on Espana. I mean, I don't think that it's going to be um, too much of an issue because all you have to do is hold the five-goal lead. But I'm not going to forget that time where NYCFC, or sorry, uh, the Revs had to go down to Central America, hold a 3-0 lead on aggregate. They end up giving up the three goals, go into penalties, and lose. Uh, Andres, does that one weigh heavily in your mind when you think about recent examples of MLS clubs choking, you know, kind of massive leads down in South America or sorry, Central America? Yeah, I think the the Revs against Pumas was was pretty bad last year. Uh, what was it, three nothing, come back and lose four nothing? Um, so that's that's probably the one that 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 most sticks out. I don't think we're gonna see that from Vancouver. Uh, Real España is not Pumas, um, and it's five goals the differential. So I think I think Vancouver will be pretty comfortable. Um, I think LAFC will be pretty comfortable. I think the Union will go through. Orlando is more of a toss-up, and Austin has every possibility to 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 come through if they play their full team. Uh, I think they'll probably get through on going on. Uh, on a four nothing kind of result, uh, but we'll see. I, I'll say four teams of the five go through. That's pretty optimistic, I would say. I mean, you're not the biggest Austin fan, and for you to say that Austin would go through even down three nil, I think yes, I think that is probably correct and probably an accurate, you know, weighting of the squads in this one. Um, I think that especially if Austin get a goal early, I think it becomes very difficult for Violet to just hold on. Um, at that point, they would need to hold on for two more goals, and it just I think Austin has that that edge of quality, especially at home. You know that their fans are going to turn out and support. So I'll be interested to see what happens, especially in those two ties, the Austin tie and the Tigres tie. Obviously, I have some you know stake in the game with Philadelphia, but that that should be a more straightforward one. Just get a win, right? Hold that home winning streak. Um, or the home unbeaten streak that they've accrued, and I'm sure we'll talk about their MLS uh, contest on the weekend. Um, but for Philly, just win. For Orlando, just win. Austin needs to win big. That's basically our CCL recap for this week, and I'm sure we'll be back with another one next week because we will know the second leg results. Those legs are kicking off in just you know 24 hours, you know 48, 72 hour time. Um, by the end of this week, we'll know who's in the last eight of the Concacaf Champions League. We can switch gears and uh, talk about MLS, and we didn't talk about. Um, St. Louis that much last week. We mentioned them, Andres, but I think there's nowhere else we can start because one, fluke. Two, you know, you got lucky. 
three, three out of three for St. Louis uh, in their inaugural MLS campaign. They go to Portland, come back once again as they have in each and every game so far, and won three. Or sorry, won two goals to one in Portland. I Andres, I don't know what to make of this. I'm just incredibly impressed with the you know the strength and mentality of this team to come back so many times already in this early season and to win their first three games in their MLS history only the second expansion side to ever do it I am just over the moon right now about St. Louis do you share that you know similar opinion yeah so of the three this is the one that's for me the most impressive because the first one you know it's that first game um, there was a little bit of uh, a fluke element in that second goal with the back pass. Um, that second one, uh, we'll talk about Charlotte, but you know it's a team that's really struggling. Home opener again, another gifted goal. Uh, but this one here, you know, it's on the road at a very good hostile environment in Portland um, against a team. And I don't think we're super high on Portland, but I don't think we're super down on them either. They're you know playoff fringe caliber type team right now or at least they were last year um and you go down in the first three minutes uh, of the game so immediately you're punched in the face and you've got to kind of bounce back and they were able to do that they they scratch and claw get a goal back before halftime um and then set pieces which is right now portland's biggest weakness uh, bites them again and they get a 76 minute winner i want to say 76 so uh, super impressive to to go on the road in that environment and, and to do it three three weeks in a row. You got to figure eventually if you start going down a goal every game, at some point it'll catch up with you. But for now, just ride the wave. Um, huge congrats to to everybody uh, in St. Louis on that staff and that team for a really incredible first three games, top of the sh- supporter shield standings. Yeah, I really don't know how they did it. We were talking about them in wooden spoon contention. They come in, they win their first three games. Not many teams in the whole league, you know, that that have even done that at this point. So I don't know where it's come from. I was watching the Charlotte game and the St. Louis game at the same time, uh, doing a little bit of a, a rewatch. And it just struck me how remarkably similar yet different these sides are, right? Come into the league one year apart have both they both have pretty rabbit fan bases and they're in pretty good soccer city st louis kind of has the edge on that one we know their history but you look at charlotte they they got the big name signings they got the signings that have somewhat high profiles and and st louis really the opposite guys you know who i don't know much about you know besides roman burkey obviously with his history with Dortmund, but guys who have you know less of a profile i think internationally guys who you know i didn't come in with the same kind of hype that charlotte did and yet you watch st louis and they look like such a cohesive side they play well together at times they play really good soccer albeit you know through that kind of red bull framework and charlotte looks the exact opposite charlotte looks discombobulated they look like they don't have no chemistry whatsoever and it just struck me how when you have good chemistry and when you have an identity you can make it in this league, even though you don't have super high-profile players all over the pitch. 
And St. Louis has impressed me with that because, like, I, I do agree with you. I don't think this is – we're going to talk too much about Portland in this segment because it's not really about them. But they looked fine in this game, and they didn't gift St. Louis anything like Austin and Charlotte had g- gifting them a goal apiece in, in their first two games. St. Louis had to earn it, and they looked pretty good while doing it. They moved the ball well. They found Klaus. He found the wingers and the center mids. It it looked like a cohesive soccer team, which is way more than teams that have been in the league for, you know, three, four, five years can say. Andres, I I don't know if this is, you know, all of the... This is, you know, the entire reason why, but do you think that this team chemistry and the, you know, the quality of ideas that St. Louis is producing this early in the season has led them to the success they've, you know, kind of acquired this early? I mean, it's it's part of that, definitely. There's a, there's a clear uh, philosophy for how they want to play. Um, it's clear, press pretty hard, go pretty direct. Um, and, and that, just establishing that, at least as an identity, uh, gets you places in this league. Uh, teams a lot of times struggle with how they want to play and uh, and that gets them into trouble. And, and here, uh, St. Louis has definitely established that from the beginning. We have to say that there's been an element of, of some luck in the first couple of games. But but there's also been definitely an element of sticking together, of as playing as a team, and and scratching and clawing and staying in games when, you know, that first game against Austin... Uh, when Austin goes up two to one in the you know fifty something minute with you know thirty five minutes to go on the road, other teams can can likely you know either either fall away or or give up some. And St. Louis has done the opposite here against Portland again three minutes in, and, and they were able to stick together and come through. So I think all of that comes together, and and you get the result you get. We'll see how long they can ride this, you know, wave of emotion and 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 stick together. But for now, uh, as long as it keeps going, you you know, it's fun to watch. Yeah, uh, if it works, it works. Jared Stroud, by the way, it was mentioned by uh, for Nate from Oregon in the Scuff Discord. Looks like an absolute heel, like the wrestling kind of heel quality that some players have. You see it across a couple sports. He just looks like a really feisty player. And he got that goal before halftime that was the equalizer before Hebert won it um, about 75 minutes. I am interested, quickly before we move on, uh, Portland came out, ran uh, three center backs in this game uh, with Bravo and Mascara, kind of the wing backs. What do you make of this, you know, tactical switch? Because, you know, for, since, you know, forever, Portland's kind of ran, ran out that the 4-3-3. What do you think led to this switch? And do you think it has any, you know, sustainability moving forward? Um, I, think it's an, I think it's an interesting move. I'm wondering how much of that is, uh, their fullback depth or lack thereof right now with a couple guys hurt um, and playing more wing backs rather than straight fullbacks. I wonder how much of that is being concerned that none of your potential center back pairings, whether it's Zuparic, Mabiala, or McGraw, just them two alone is good enough. So you put a third back, a third center back in there, it shores you up defensively. Um, I think Portland can use with some tinkering considering what personnel they have in the back line and and trying to figure out what's what's the best way to go forward because 
you know, you've still got 31 games left to figure it out. And right now that personnel doesn't scream at me very clear back four, very clear back three. So I'm not surprised to see Savarese tinkering a little bit. Yeah, and it's not like, and we want to make it seem like Portland is a solid side. They are. They're a good team. But coming out and starting your um, campaign one win, two losses isn't like some unchangeable thing, obviously, right? The the one win was a 1-0 win at home against Sporting KC. So even that win isn't particularly impressive. We always thought that I think Gio knew that something had to change because when Sebastian Blanco still isn't, you know, completely healthy, you know, when, when all these things are, you know, Diego Chara looks like he's slowing down because he's an old man. Like, he, he's not as young as he used to be. He looks a little bit slower. Paredes got hurt early in this game. So, yeah, you have injury issues all over the pitch, and the fullback death isn't where it needs to be, like you mentioned. You kind of are in that situation where you have to make pretty, you know, large-scale structural changes to the, your starting eleven. And it was fine in the game. I wouldn't say that it was like the, the formation was why they lost this game. I am interested to see you know what it is like moving forward. Do you know does Gio Savarese try and switch out of it at any point because we know that this isn't his mo, or does he just ride with it because that's what you know they that's all they can do. We shall see. Uh, and, and we can move on. But St. Louis remains perfect. Three wins out of three to start there. MLS, you know, inaugural campaign, and they are top of the Western Conference. They're the only team that hasn't dropped points so far this year in the West, minus LAFC. And we know that LAFC had that weird start with only, uh, you know, playing two games so far. So St. Louis City, who would have thought? Top of the West. We can move to the East now. And in kind of the, the Derby of the South, I'm not sure if they have an official name for it yet. Atlanta travels up to Charlotte promptly blows them out three goals in the first half two from u.s international caleb wiley andres this thing was really never even a game and i think it does speak volumes about atlanta to me but boy charlotte looks like they're just in the dumps right now actually i think it it's a good game to indicate for both teams um atlanta first couple games of the year didn't look very good um, especially, you know, creating chances. I think, you know, they, they got bailed out that first week with the Almada uh, bangers to, to get them the first three points. And then against Toronto, getting a 1-1 draw, it's kind of, you know, one goal against Toronto doesn't exactly uh, spark a ton of confidence in your attack. Uh, this game, I think they were so much more confident going forward. Um and Charlotte really had a lot of difficulty getting pressure on the ball, um, especially when they turned the ball over. Uh, weak side defense, um, stopping guys that are running at you. So I think actually both from both sides, uh, I think we could see from from an Atlanta side the beginnings of what you're hoping you're going to see a lot more of. Araujo finishing, huge deal. Almada just driving at at guys and making things happen is a big deal. And from Charlotte's side, it's another red flag that, um, you know, things aren't going well and some changes probably need to start happening over there, um, whether it's in personnel on the field or tactics. But right now it's it's not working and, and it's, you know, gaping holes uh, all through the middle of the pitch. So 
I think for me, probably the most uh, indicative or the most substantial result of the weekend, even though it was the first game, uh, is this one. Uh, if you're Atlanta, you're really, really excited that you're finally seeing some end product out of uh, Araujo and and you're working in transition the way you want. And if you're Charlotte, you're starting to really get concerned. Uh, three weeks on the on the bounce here with with no points. Yeah, that's a massive problem for a team that you know had expectations coming in this year, um, and and even last year, you know, winning those games toward the end and giving them some hope. Probably um, it hasn't paid off so far this year. Giorgio's Giacomakis uh, did not start this game. Came in on 59 minutes to replace Miguel Berry. Uh, I think Taylor Twelman mentioned a couple times in the broadcast that they're trying to incorporate him slowly, you know, different aspects of, you know, his new life in Atlanta that they're trying to give him some time uh, and take his mind off of soccer, at least uh, not entirely. But I think the really impressive thing for me this game was seeing how Caleb Wiley really operated well as a winger up that left side. And, and now I think not only do defenses have to be worried about Almada and like you said, Arojo finally getting the, his goal um, that he's been searching for for a little bit. It's that, you know, that duo, that wicked double team of Andrew Gutman and Caleb Wiley up the left. We know that Andrew Gutman is extremely good as an attacking left back. And with Caleb Wiley showing the, you know, kind of the dynamism that he produced against Charlotte in this game. Andres, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this is, you know, one of the best, you know, left sides in all of MLS. Yeah, I have to, I have to think, think through it um, a little bit to see if I can come up with a, with another one that's um, as dynamic. But I think Gutman's probably been one of the more underrated left backs uh, in the in the league for for a couple of years. And and people forget that last season Atlanta. Um, you remember that Miles Robinson went down. You remember that Brad Guzan went down. Um, Ozzy Alonso went down. Joseph was on and off injured, but also you know Brooks Lennon and, and Andrew Gutman went down for for a long time uh, in the middle of the season, and that really hurt. I think uh, the results for you know a good two or three months during the middle of the season, um, and he was you know he being Gutman was really good prior to that. Um, to that injury and when he came back and he had been he had been pretty good before that um, with the Red Bulls so I think you know if you're looking at a probably pretty considerable or solid top five left back uh, Caleb Wiley maybe not an out and out winger more of a left wing back so we'll see how he projects going forward but he looked pretty good going forward this week um, although I don't think he'll have as much space against other teams as he did um, this weekend but it's definitely up there, and it has the potential to be very good um, seeing how they progress throughout the season. Yeah, and you mentioned it. Atlanta was absolutely snake bit in the injury department last year, so just this year, you know, allowing those guys to get back and hopefully not, you know, re-injured, um, or getting, you know, re-injured in with some of those, you know, ways that they were last year is just going to boost results in and of itself. You mentioned, you know, that list of names was you know, way too long at times last year for, you know, getting positive results to really even be, you know, fathomable when you have, you know, stalwarts, you know, that have been in your lineup for years, like Gazan, Miles Robinson, 
and, and even like you mentioned Gutman and Lennon, good young, you know, outside backs, you know, you're talking about a, a pretty untenable situation. Last year was inevitable at times. This year, you know, getting all those guys back, it's clearly made an impact and none more so than Miles Robinson, who they mentioned on the broadcast. I agree with them. He's probably a starter in Qatar had he not gone down in April with that Achilles injury after, you know, basically being the guy for the U.S. throughout all of qualifying. he He's back. He looks extremely mobile, which is way different than some people look after they do their Achilles. He just looks like one of the better center backs in the league already. Andres, I, I'm, I've always been a big Miles guy, and I can't sing his praises enough. I, I have to imagine that most people are seeing what I'm seeing, right? Yeah, and and he really burst on the scene. What was it in twenty twenty? I want to say it was nineteen twenty. Um, and then in the in the Gold Cup a couple of years back, had a huge huge tournament that really put him on the radar for the national team. Um, and it's it's just you know really nice that and Guzan actually looks pretty good too. So both of them being back, being healthy, being mobile, that's a huge boost. Um, I thought. Um, Hota Hota Parata, the other the other center back they brought in from Mexico middle of the year last year, um, brought some spiciness to that back line um, and and some solidity. So for sure they're in a much better place uh, than they were last year at this point center back wise. Um, so and that is one of those teams that you're always kind of waiting for that shoe to drop and for them to to really hit the ground running. And you know a result like this. Seven points in three, uh, and so far so healthy. That's uh, that's about as good a start as you can get. Yeah, and I know you were you were pretty excited about Jakomakis, and he hasn't really even contributed that much in the first couple games. And so if he's able to come in and and really boost that attack as well, and obviously you have a good striker already in Miguel Barry, who we know is established in the league. We know that he can definitely do a job up top, and with, with Tiago Amado behind him. The sky, I think, I'm not sure the sky's the limit, but it, it's pretty close for this team because we know how good this team can be when everyone's healthy because we've seen all the individual pieces produce in, in different moments. You combine them all together as a healthy unit, um, which never existed last year, and I, I think that this team can do some pretty great things. So I'm excited to see what they can do. Uh, and th- if this results in any indication, uh, they're going to make some good work of the bottom feeders in the East. I think for Charlotte, you know, we talk about St. Louis, the newest club and MLS being top of the West. Meanwhile, Charlotte is bottom of the East. Uh, No wins, no draws, three losses through their first three games and the worst goal differential to boot. Um, Yikes is the word that they're saying in Charlotte. Yikes, because in your, uh, in your second home game of the year, you get absolutely spanked by your rival. And I think this is going to leave the front office and obviously the fan base asking some very large questions as to how do we better this situation? Because it looks pretty, pretty awful at the moment. We can move on to a slightly more entertaining, uh, you know, te- teams that are more established so far. And we can talk about Cincinnati. Cincinnati, a team that, you know, has really made the breakout recently really, you know, elevated themselves into that conversation for top of the East, and they get the home win against a very good Seattle Sounders team. They hold on with 10 men for the last couple minutes to beat Seattle 1-0 at home. 
Andres, this was your game of the week, and it, in all honesty, it was really the game of the week for the league. What do you see in this one that was entertaining? I think this game had a little bit of everything, albeit only one goal. Yeah, the, all all it was missing was a couple more, uh, a couple more goals. But in general, I thought it was a really pretty well played game. Um, for the most part, uh, I thought Cincinnati was better uh, than than Seattle for eighty to ninety percent of that game. Um, they had the majority of the possession, uh, and Seattle seemed to be pretty much defending in their own half. Outside of the absolutely wonderful weighted uh, through ball from Roldan to to Jordan Morris, which almost leads to the first goal. Uh, outside of that, I thought Cincinnati was was the better team um, and just kind of couldn't find the breakthrough, but was on the verge pretty much the entire game. Um, and and the goal shows you what what that group can do with with Lucho dribbling in and around the eighteen, uh, laying it off to Mora, who lays it off to Brenner, who who puts it in the corner. Um, just that kind of quick strike ability is what what makes Cincinnati stand out. But then after the red card, able to hold on, um, even though they're at home against a Seattle team that's been playing really well, to that one zero lead for what. I think they played 103 or 104 minutes in this one. So it was like 25 minutes almost that they played uh, down a man. And to hold on showed a lot. So uh, I think this is a huge confidence-building win for Cincinnati. Uh, for Seattle, I don't think I don't think it means a whole lot. They, they played pretty decent, uh, if not great. And, and, you know, they almost come away with a point at a very good team. So I'm not too concerned. How do you see it? Yeah, I, I think pretty similarly to how you saw it. I think, you know, both these teams are very good at playing the game of soccer. They're not here to mess around. When they have the ball, they're going to try and do things with it, which is more than we can say for some teams. And I think both these teams had their moments. I think it just so happened that, you know, Cincinnati, in one of their moments, put the ball in the back of the net, and Seattle was never able to. I thought the foul was a good foul because Rui, Rui Diaz is through on goal. It was a red card. I think everyone did the you know the right thing in that situation. Um, Yaimar gets that goal canceled um, in you know the very very beginning of what turned into a lengthy stoppage time um, for a correctly whistled off the ball foul. Um, I think in terms of what I saw from Seattle in this game it is always going to be more interesting than Cincinnati. Cause for me, Cincinnati is kind of an established team at this point, you know what you're going to get. Uh, you know, this team is very good in that front three can produce goals. And a as they did, I think for Seattle, it's cause what we saw last year with all the injuries, you know, some players getting back to health it is kind of more interesting for me in multiple directions, right? When we're talking about a team that, one CCL, then didn't make the playoffs, and you have that kind of story arc. And also with the USMNT side, with guys like Rodon and Morris uh, being contributors, I think that that's also interesting to me. So to see those guys kind of flourish, like you said, Rodon with that great through ball. Jordan Morris, even though he didn't finish it off, he's been looking very good uh, in this early season so far, which is really promising uh, to me because especially with those injuries being, you know, as untimely and unfortunate for him as they were, you know, seeing him healthy and running and getting goals and, and, and producing really quality attacking moments is fun. So I think both these teams play pretty solid games. And the announcers mentioned in this one, away to Cincinnati is going to be any team's, you know, one of their toughest games of the year. So if 
Seattle's going to pick a game to lose early in the season. I don't think that they're going to be, you know, hand-wringing too much about this result. I think it's just back at it, on to the next week. Both these two teams uh, have, uh, you know, bare minimum six points through the first three games. Cincy on seven, you know, two wins and a draw. Seattle, two wins and a loss. So these teams will make the playoffs. And, you know, for Seattle, this is less of a setback. And for Cincinnati, I think it's just more validation. We know this team is legit, legit. Unless you have any more, Andres, I think we can move on because, unfortunately, like you mentioned, all that we were missing was a couple more goals in this game because, uh, you know, how fun all the other aspects of it were. Yeah, I think we can move to Philly now. Um, the, the team that I think people were thinking is going to challenge Cincinnati at the top of the East. Again, they, they, they seem interesting to me because they haven't played a, a very good game of soccer yet so far this year. But two home wins to start off the year, continuing that crazy, I think it was at 25, 24 games now, uh, the home unbeaten streak. They get a late winner uh, against the Chicago Fire. It wasn't pretty for the Union at all. Um, Chicago eventually went down to nine men at the end of this game. So... The Union did just enough, and I think if a draw would have felt like a loss. So Joaquin Torres' first goal in Union colors will definitely be a massive sigh of relief, and it was for everyone in the stadium, a 90th-minute winner. I think the real story of this one, Andres, is why weren't the Union able to do more through you know the first 50 minutes, and then why were they only able to get the goal in the 90th minute when Fabian Herbers had taken a second yellow in the 50th? That's 40 minutes that they were up a man and couldn't grab a goal. Do you think it's just early season, you know, kind of getting things in order? Or do you think the attack has really regressed since last season for the Union? I hope, personally, that's the, uh, the former option. Early last season, there was a lot of this. We, we had a lot of discussions about Philadelphia, you know, being very good in almost all aspects and just never really quite clicking and, and putting multiple goals. You know, they were squeaking out a lot of results at the beginning of, the, of last year. And then it just kind of all came together and they poured him in, what, like midsummer, from midsummer on uh, with those 6 nothing, 7 nothings type type games. Um, I was about two minutes away from tweeting out that this was the first time the Union had been held sco- scoreless uh, three games in a row since like 2021. Uh, and then Chris Brady has kind of a, a howler on, on the Joaquin Torres strike and and my, I have to delete my tweet before I send it out. So, <laughs> so they just kind of got it in under the under the bell, um, and it just seems like they kind of struggle with that, you know, final ball with with creating clear cut chances, a lot of half chances. Um, but really, you go back to August September uh, of last season, and the Union would have taken a ten men Chicago Fire team and drubbed them four or five nothing. So. Right now, just maybe maybe struggling to put it together, and and I I think you're right. Probably early season struggles, nothing to be super concerned about, but it hasn't been crisp um, really in any of the games. Not Miami, uh, not Alianza, and not this weekend. Yeah, and that first weekend it took them a little bit to get into it as well. I think being at home obviously helps them, and that it's just beyond a doubt now. Looking at all the results over you know multiple years at this point, but. Joaquin Torres taking that quick strike. Chris Brady needs to be saving that, but he didn't. And I'll take that as a Union fan. You know, ball trickles in. Union win 1-0 against Chicago. And they can kind of move on to CCL because we know how impacted, you know, 
these teams are when CCL comes around. Just look at NYCFC last year and the difference during and then post-CCL and how they just absolutely exploded uh, when CCL was done. I think they, they didn't lose for like two months or something afterwards. And now Union are kind of in the throes of CCL and having to do that midweek travel, albeit with a rotated squad. Um, so you know, yeah, that that can impact the team. I was gonna but, I was gonna ask you because you mentioned the rotated yeah. squad. What's what do you think and what do you hope to see for the second leg? Because first leg was pretty rotated, or or pretty much the entire squad was rotated, and they brought in all the all of their big guns in the second half: Gazdag and and Carranza. Uh, Bedoya and etc. Jose Martinez. What do you think we'll see this week? Because it's at home for the home leg. Will we see the first team, or do we see the rotation and then the subs being brought on, uh, like last week? Well, I have to imagine. Well, I I, I should start by saying Andre Blake went out and this looked like a hamstring injury, and uh, Jim Curtin says he's going to get an MRI today. So hopefully he's all right, but uh, he already confirmed that Joe Bendick's going to start. Um, as it pertains to the other parts of the squad, I want to see a basic, you know, basically a full squad for at least for the first half. If the Union get up really two goals, I think it's safe to start rotating at that point. Um, I think the defense should be basically the defense because, you know, even though we talk about this game being a poor result, it was really a poor attacking result. Defensively, they didn't let in much, and it was one one nil was the final. And Chicago didn't have too many, you know, amazing chances. So that's positive. Um, I, I think attacking wise, you kind of have to start. You know, probably Carranza and Ora up top. Uh, probably probably Gazdag as well because you need to secure this tie, and you really need to secure it in the first half. After that, I think they can rotate. Um, I might maybe maybe Jack McGlynn or, or Quinn Sullivan get one of those guys in maybe into the midfield uh, from from the jump so you can give one of those guys a rest and maybe, you know, throw McGlynn, drop Flock to the six just so Jose Martinez can have a game of rest or something like that. But I think it needs to be a pretty full squad. Um, how that will impact them in their upcoming MLS games I don't know, but if they are treating the CONCACAF Champions League as a priority, you kind of have to have to play the full squad when the leg or when the second leg is really the decider and you need a win. Um, obviously, I'd be you know singing a bit of a different tune if they were in a Vancouver situation or something like that. What do you see? Yeah, I think I think you have to play, or I think you should play your first team. Uh, tomorrow night, Tuesday, uh, and make sure you get through or, or try to make sure you get through. And then if you have to rotate, you know, depending on how that game plays out, you you might be able to take some of, some of your best pieces out, hopefully, you know, 60 minutes in. Um, but the next match is, is Montreal. I don't think Montreal is very good right now. Um, and it's away. So I think that's where you would rotate back to maybe what you saw last Tuesday. Um, you can probably take a point there anyway against Montreal. Um, Philly's going to be in the playoffs anyway, and if you don't play your first team uh, tomorrow night, you might be out of CCL already. So I think you play your first team tomorrow and then maybe rotate on, on the weekend. That's the hope. You know, Montreal of last year in Montreal, yeah, again, maybe, maybe, a, little, maybe a little different tune, but I, I think seeing what you got in this year's Montreal side, I don't think they're that great of a side. You have to expect that even with a rotated squad, you could take hopefully a point at least, um, in Montreal. 
if you're able to get through that and then the next you know midweek hopefully is a free midweek for the union you have time to get the legs back under you you kind of have to you know do the full squad and then the rotated squad instead of vice versa uh secure the tie and uh, against alianza and then we can talk about whatever comes next for the union but it's a 1-0 result over Chicago. Kai Kamara picked up a second yellow at the end, a little, uh, a pretty bad foul uh, for a second yellow card, left the referee with no decision. And, and so even though there were six minutes of added time in this one, uh, this Chicago really played the second half of it with nine men. So, you know, not really enough you know, people on the field to create that much of any attacking presence toward the end. And the Union really swamped uh, Chicago. Uh, around the time of that goal, the the Union goal anyway. So in the end, probably deserving from the Union, though, like you said, you would like to see, and last year you would have seen probably a 3-4-5-0 um, had this similar, uh, the similar game state played out with the man down for you know, the majority of the second half. Union get the win. They're 2-1 to open the campaign. They will make the playoffs. Right now they sit fifth in the East, which is comfortable six points through their first three games we can keep on moving move to the west lafc hosted new england the lone sunday night game and they got the job done as always it was a pretty pretty convincing four nil win in new england as bruce arena returns to la to take on uh the the non-galaxy team lafc The, the real story in this one even though denny buonga got two more goals to you know kind of boost his early season uh you know contributions to lafc which are already pretty enormous getting that hat trick at aljuense and then coming home and getting two goals the real story for me was tim tillman making his first start the the dual nat german american uh dual national comes in gets eventually a goal he was by far for me the player of the match really just getting everything done in the middle of the field for LAFC Andres this is where I want to start as we talk about LAFC in New England Tim T- Tim Tillman just looked incredibly impressive to me yeah and he was he was pretty decent um, against Portland and and when he came on against Alajuelense, but uh but you could tell he was feeling he was feeling it um, last night against New England and even outside of the the goal contributions you know some of the some of the dribbling and some of the you know movement uh just reeks of a player with with confidence um and it bodes well because we've talked a little bit about depth in LAFC and and some of the potential moves going outbound uh, that have already happened and that might happen um and if Tillman is playing uh, like he was playing last night then then that's a huge replacement for what might or might not come come going forward so um yeah i think it's a good shout he he was super lively um super clinical and i think uh that's more than probably what we were expecting from him so quickly yeah uh i mean i expect him to be good um he didn't come in and just wow me in the first uh two mls games and or his like his first MLS game because that first week they were canceled, and it, what he did against Portland was good for me, but nothing like over the moon. So I was expecting him to play well, as I would any player who came, you know, who has Bundesliga credentials, but came in and just I mean took over the game in the middle of the field. 
last night. We're we're recording this Monday, so they played last night, and he um he he was a star in there. I think for me, um, the player, and I, we've mentioned this, you know, everyone has. If you're an MLS fan, to keep an eye on is Georgi Petrovic. He's going to move to a very big club very soon because even though the the final scoreline read. 4-0. I, I, he just about stood on his head in this game. A number of massive saves that it just so happens that, you know, his defense was letting up big chance after big chance. Andres, I can never say enough about Petrovic whenever I watch him. I mean, do you want to estimate the kind of money that he's going to go for soon? Because he is a star in the making. Or I'm not even going to say he's a star in the making. He is a star. Yeah, it could have been seven, <laughs> maybe. I mean... LAFC hit the post. Um, he Petrovic made like three or four huge, you know, sprawling out type saves. Um, one on Vela from point blank. Um, another one where where he he makes like a double save on a on a transition moment. So he was. I mean, it's it's tough when you're playing out of your mind and you still lose four nothing. But but he was. He was excellent, and he saved them three or four goals. I think you're talking. You're talking what fifteen million? I mean, what, what did Matt Turner go for? You you'd have to say Petrovic is even a step above um, what what Turner went for. So um, huge hits back to back for the Revs um, in terms of revenue probably coming in here at some point, uh, and then you got to replace him again. So um, yeah, I think uh, not enough can be said. Uh, there's not a, there's not a whole lot more to add other than. Probably at this point the best keeper in the league, and, and you know Andre Blake might might have an argument there, but but not not many others can can uh, can have an argument with with Petrovic being right at the top. It was that one save on Vale, like you said, where like I think it was, it was to make it three nil. Vale hesitated for a second. He comes out full sprawl, like toe save. That was absolutely crazy, and that that made me say like, yeah, he's. He's gone. He's gone this summer or next, you know, ne- next winter or whatever. He's not long for this league, though, and he he will be going for a massive fee. They were saying that even you know some of the top clubs in the world have inquired about him, and it's not that surprising if you just watch his body of work with the Revs. Uh, before we move on from this game, we were touching on this last week. Mario Long, the center back pairing uh, for this game, th- this seems like maybe the one that they're going to go with because. Both looked up to the task last night. I, I thought both were pretty good. And obviously, when you you know keep a shutout, there's not much incentive for the coach to change uh, th- that back line. In the midweek, it was Mario and Chiellini. And, and last week versus LAFC was Mario and Chiellini, albeit Chiellini gets subbed often in these games. Do you think, like you said last week, it was going to be a rotation? It seems like the one kind of stalwart through all of it is Mario. You think that he's going to play the majority of the minutes and long, and Keelan, you're just going to split kind of the second half? Uh, I think I think we'll see more Mario and Long, and Chiellini will be uh, kind of the spot starter. And and when he when he does play, he doesn't really ever go ninety. Um, so I expect as we go forward. That you'll see, you know, the the base pair is Mario Long and Chiellini will get will get maybe either either big games or or they'll rotate a little bit, but they'll try to save him um, and save his legs 
for for later in the season. I think at the beginning maybe they were integrating long into the team, uh, but I still think there'll be quite a bit of rotation. If I had to guess, uh, the order will be Murillo, Long, and then Chiellini in terms of minutes. But we'll we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, I I agree with that. Um, it it that sounds about right to me, just given ages and kind of. But we know that Chiellini is still a good player, and he can still obviously play a pretty big part when he gets subbed in. You know, they they keep a clean sheet with Chiellini and Murillo in the midweek. Then they keep a clean sheet at the weekend with Murillo and Long. So it seems that they can run out, you know, basically whatever rotation they want and be pretty successful with it. Uh, they will play Alhuense, uh this Wednesday, I believe, um, at home, needing really just to keep that three-goal advantage, right? You, j- you just can't lose by three or more at home to a club that you just beat 3-0 a week ago. Seems like a pretty easy task for this team, uh, if I do say so myself. And I don't think, you know, they can rotate their squad and still put out a pretty solid squad as it is. So I don't think that there's too much to talk about in terms of squad rotation because if squad rotation means that you have a midfield trio of, say, Sifu, Acosta, and, you know, Ilya Sanchez instead of Tim Tillman, Sifu, and Ilya Sanchez, like, again, we're talking, you know, great problems to have, right? If your center back pairing is Chiellini and Long instead of Chiellini and Murillo, again, great problems to have. So this team will be fine. They should win at the midweek. I, I think it would be a, d- a disappointment if they don't, you know, increase that aggregate lead um, and cruise into the last eight of CCL. They play Seattle next week. Andres, I don't, I, I think that's the one to be excited about. Seattle LAFC, that one looks absolutely tasty right now. Yep, and, and here with this game, I feel the opposite of with the Union. Here I'm probably rotating midweek, um, at least in terms of, you know, Vela, uh, who who needs some rest nowadays? Ilie, um, some of those guys I probably not starting a midweek, and I'm keeping them fresh for Seattle, which uh, for me is is a game between the two best teams in the West, um, and probably or, or near about the two best teams in the league. So I I think that's that's how I'd play it. Although you may, if you're Steve Chirondolo, want to rotate a bit, even if you give up a result with Seattle. Um, going to Seattle um, to not really show your hand uh, given that you're going away to probably your biggest competitor in the West. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they how they play going forward, but that's kind of how I see it. Yeah, I, I was going to say, like, and that's why I mentioned the rotation side. I don't think the union can really be thinking rotation at this aspect or this point in time. I think when it comes to LAFC, rotation has to be the first word on the whiteboard today as they walk into the training room because the line number two is Seattle on Saturday. And that is just an absolutely amazing game, right? Uh, that, that's got to be the marquee game of next week, 4 p.m. on the East. So it'll be a sunny kick, hopefully, in Seattle when, like you said, the two best teams in the West, I think it's pretty, uh, that's a pretty easy statement to make, take on each other, and LAFC being on the road, they're going to need all the help they can get. So, yeah, rotate, save Vela's legs, even if they need to save Denny Buanga's legs, and they can, and, you know, run uh, Buke again up top, do any kind of, in any one of those rotations, because that's the game, and we're going to talk about it when we look ahead to week four, but that's the game. 
um, that you know I think LAFC and the entire league has their eyes on for next week. We'll see what they can do with the midweek, hopefully with that rotated squad. Last game I think we can touch on in depth is a game that I mentioned last week. Austin going uh, to Rio Tinto. Sorry, I'm gonna I'm always gonna call it Rio Tinto. It's called America First. It, it's always gonna be Rio Tinto in my heart uh, to take on RSL. And honestly, I think this is another case of Austin being the variance kings of MLS. Andres two bangers. They get the two one win against RSL. We always talk about it. Not a sustainable way to win games. And I think hopefully I, for us. Uh, you know, advanced stats believers that catches up to Austin at some point. But for now, they tack on another three points. And and, and an ultimate confidence booster, right? Because we talked about at the beginning of the pod, them getting smacked in, in the DR by by the Haitian team, Violet. Um, and even though it was a, a really pretty rotated squad, you know, Drusy wasn't in the, in the team, neither was Zardes, neither were Alex Ring or Pereira. Um but they needed, you know, to kind of get that mojo and get that confidence going, uh, especially coming back home for that second leg. So going to Salt Lake, which is a pretty tough place to play and to get a result. Salt Lake's always talking about teams with identities and playing together. They're like the epitome of a team that plays together um, and has for a while and overperforms, you know, their, their, some of their parts. So uh, it was a pretty even game, I, I, I think, at least the way that I saw it. You know, both teams had pretty good chances. RSL definitely had uh, chances to get a, a second and get an equalizer. Um, and the goals from Austin are not very repeatable. Owen Wolf from like 25 yards out for his first ever goal. Um, John Gallagher with also a, a, a banger coming, coming in off the right side with his left foot. But overall, I think they played pretty well. Um, even if the chance creation between Drusi and, and Zardes isn't quite there yet. Um, they're definitely more solid on defense when they play Vicenin, um and Ring um, and Pereira as opposed to the to the team that they trotted out in, in the DR. So, you know, like you mentioned, variance kings and, and not sustainable, but needed uh, for confidence and an appreciated uh, three points. Yeah, we talk about variance, but variance... You know, if it favors you, inevitably leads to points. And whether those points would be repeatable in a vacuum, you know, what they can bring and the intangibles that come with it at certain points in the year, sometimes you need a little luck uh, to get moving in the right direction. And Austin could look back at this game and say, hey, this was a massive catalyst in our success, hopefully, uh, for MLS's sake, our success um, in, you know, the upcoming midweek in the homes, uh, the home leg against Violette. Yeah, like you mentioned, two great goals, goals that I would expect to see in the goal of the week voting uh, upcoming. John Gallagher, for me, the better one. I mean, an absolute laser uh, from the right back. Owen Wolf, like you mentioned, the youngster getting his goal. And what a beautiful one it was to open your account, your MLS account. Um, Justin Glad, already two goals on the year. Uh, for RSL, the center back who seems to have a nose for goal, scored uh, against Vancouver in game one. Now scores. Uh, he what was the equalizer before Owen Wolf got the eventual winner in game three for RSL. So I for RSL just I, you know if those goals don't go in those you know two wonder strikes. I think we're talking about again a different game and maybe a game that RSL wins for Austin. They just kind of have to keep the blinders on because 
they have to take care of business in midweek, and I think it'll be it'll it'll look like a big disappointment for this club, and it will be a disappointment if they don't get the job done against Violette. So for them, they have more of that kind of immediacy, whereas RSL has time to prepare, look ahead, and I for for the um for the Salt Lake side, they host St. Louis next, so that that's a chance to really break the momentum of a St. Louis side. Real Salt Lake have to regain a little bit of their own. They're, they've uh, lost two in a row now. So, really uh, an interesting game, I think, on paper. And Austin always produces some way uh, to just completely mess up the XG numbers for the next couple months. Uh, that's kind of it for our MLS games to talk about this week. Before we look ahead to week four, Andres, I think we kind of need to recap the breaking news out of Monday, which is uh, the Austin and Bird report. From the USMNT is out. It got dropped in the middle of de- uh, middle of the day on Monday, which hey, it one of the more uh, conspicuous times to drop a news report. So it wasn't exactly like uh, anybody was trying to hide this. It doesn't look good for the Reynas. It basically um, you know cooperates with everything that's been said so far, with providing a few additional details, particularly um, it, it, with the actions of the Reynas. Uh, in, in prior years, Claudio Reyna, uh, a, a few years back, when Gio Reyna, I believe, got sent off, uh, basically berated, I believe it was either uh, the Federation or someone like that, for hiring a female ref to ref a big game, saying it should have been a male ref, why don't we take these things more seriously? It doesn't come off looking good for anyone, but particularly the Reynas in this situation. Andres, I'll throw it to you with kind of whatever thoughts you want to provide to the situation that we've kind of touched on a little bit in the past. I think ultimately, if we're from an MLS side of things, Claudio Reyna will probably never get a job again in United States soccer. I think the macro view, though, is this just does not look good uh, for U.S. soccer and for the Reynas in particular. Yeah, it's just just disappointing. It's disappointing from... From an outsider's, you know, point of view, we're we're so excited to see the development of the sport in the country, uh, the development of the league, of the national team, and see see how we stack up against, you know, teams with let's face it, much more history of of you know successful leagues and successful national teams, and you know, you from an outsider's point. We, we kind of look at it as we're all kind of banding together to take on some of these historical powers and so on. And you know, just to see the infighting, uh, the pettiness, really, uh, the actions of adults, uh, which really remind you much more of, you know, adolescence um, and, and, and just kind of not very mature or... or I don't know, transparent way of doing things. And and Reina said it in his message, he said, you know, I'm being transparent uh, with you and so on, but it's just not the way of, to, to go about things. Um, you know, the whole thing kind of stinks. Uh, and unfortunately, even even the, the parties that, you know, maybe are a little bit less guilty in this in this sense, whether it's, you know, the Brian McBrides and, and even Burhalter or, or Ernie Stewart that, you know, don't have a, a a scathing email, a red 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 flag to show. Just the fact that they're all kind of intertwined, 
leaves you with a bad taste in your mouth and, and kind of makes you hope that they kind of clean house on everybody and, and bring in uh, fresh faces that don't have all of this uh, history, personal, personal or otherwise, uh, that, that leads to decisions 25 years later. So, yeah, just disappointing all the, all the way around. Yeah, I completely agree. You said something before we started recording. You said that this reminds you a lot more of uh, travel soccer than, you know, World Cup. And that's exactly what uh, I would, you know, parrot that it's it's way more rep- reminiscent of youth soccer than professional soccer. Um, I do want to say I mentioned this in the past. I mentioned it again that on this podcast we exceptionally condone uh, domestic violence, any you know forms of hate and violence as it pertains to that. Um, I would say that in terms of this report, if you want to read up about Greg's actions uh, towards Rosalind in 1991, I'm not going to detail them for you here. I will also say that if you want an example of how to handle it, um, read up on Greg's actions as well, because he committed a, a heinous act and then recuperated from it in basically the best way imaginable. So we condone domestic violence. And if you want to know any more about that, uh, Please, please look at the report and we'll include a link in the podcast description um, to, you know, information on how to deal with domestic violence, because that is always important and something that I'm sure we've all either experienced or seen in our own lives, whether it be as a bystander or, you know, hopefully not, but as a victim. So I will include a link in that in the podcast description as well. We can move past the... uh, uh, I, we're we're a pretty PG podcast, but the crap show that is uh, U.S. soccer right now, and we can look ahead to Week Four in MLS. Andres, I'll throw it to you for your big game. I think we kind of already talked about it, but you can go ahead and steal it. Uh, what what's what's the game you're looking forward to for Week Four? Because I think there's really only one answer. Yeah, so I think obviously LAFC Seattle, right, is what is what we're talking about. So just because we've already touched on it. Um, let's go ahead and talk about something else that, that might be kind of interesting. So um, I, I'm going to look at St. Louis and San Jose as a, as, as a potential interesting game to watch. I think San Jose um, was, has been pretty good. Uh, we didn't talk about them uh, necessarily from this week, but they got another win, one nothing against the Rapids. Uh, they look much more defensively solid. Uh, we've talked about their their tracking trio in that midfield against the hottest team in the league, top of the Supporters Shield, uh, standing St. Louis in their second home game. So, just to just to vary away from the Seattle LAFC obvious answer, I'm going to talk about St. Louis San Jose as a game to watch. Yeah, I I 100% agree with that. Uh, that that was one that I was looking at just because I think San Jose for me. Um, someone who hasn't caught a lot of earthquakes soccer so far this year is an interesting team, and like, like we saw in that first week, came very close to being to beating Atlanta at Atlanta, and I think we'd be talking very differently about Atlanta and about San Jose had that result come to pass. Um, like you mentioned, since we already talked about for I think both our games of the week, which is Seattle and LAFC, um, I, I'll switch gears. I'll talk NYCFC DC United because DC United have. They're, they're not a great side, we know that, but they've thrown together a couple interesting results so far this year. Results that make me think that, hey, this team isn't, you know, I don't think they're a playoff team, but they're not destined for necessarily the wooden spoon again. 
Um, they drew Orlando on the weekend. Uh, Chris Durkin got a goal in the 80th minute. It was a home game for them uh, to equalize after Duncan McGuire had gotten the opener for Orlando City on 53 minutes. So uh, it looks like a pretty second-half heavy game in that one. Chris Durkin, um, it, it's fun to see young players get you know their goals. He's a 23-year-old and has been starting and playing well for this team so far early in the season. I think what's really interesting for me uh, when it comes to DC is the real the, the youngsters that they have. Matai Akimboni, a center back who didn't play on the weekend. And then uh, TKDP, Teddy Cudipietro, who started at the weekend. Um, remember when he got that winner in week one and that dramatic win over uh, Toronto at home. So DC kind of interests me in that way. And then obviously keeping tabs on NYCFC um, because they did, you know, eke out a 1-0 win at home against Miami last weekend. Will they be able to do something similar? Will they be able to continue, you know, not a stunning start, but hey, if they're able to beat DC, it'll be two wins, a draw, and a loss to start the season, which I don't think is bad given, um, as we mentioned, coming into the year, the rotation that they had to undergo and the questions that, you know, are posed about this team. Right now they sit 10th on uh, one win, a draw, and a loss, four points through their first three games. So this is a team that might sit at a kind of early season pendulum. Which uh, which way do they go? Andres, do you have anything more about week four before uh, we wrap it up for yet another podcast? Uh, no, not on week four, but before we wrap, just want to give a shout out to Sam Stachko and Paul Tenorio. Um, allocation disorder uh, pod has been going for a few years covering covering the league and its machinations in depth um, and that's wrapped now uh, Sam's moved on to a new project I not that I know Sam personally but have followed his work for a few years so he's moving away from covering from covering the league uh, so that that podcast is over but it's been it's been a good one I think a lot of the MLS community has appreciated their work um, so just just a quick shout before before we wrap uh, on a good run and uh, best of luck in the future for both of them. Yeah, and it does look based off of his LinkedIn page, not necessarily the uh, hot button topic for most most of USMNT Twitter, but someone looked at his LinkedIn page and it seems like he's going to Apple now. So hopefully Sam's able to create great content uh, with you know directly uh, working with the league now at Apple instead of just covering them as an independent journalist. So super interested to see what he can do because he and Paul are, you know, two of the front runners when it comes to USMNT journalism. Um, and the work that they've done over the last couple of years has been second to basically no one. So seeing that kind of little partnership kind of break off as Sam explores a, a different career path will be cool to see. Um, and and it, will, it will be cool to see what Sam's able to do at Apple while, you know, still having kind of that bittersweetness of, hey, this was a lot of fun, um, and Sam and Paul have done so much for the league. Uh, so a bit of bittersweetness, but I think it'll be cool to see what Sam's able to do. And also, you know, Paul is a legend, so Paul, you know, keep, you know, grinding out uh, his his work in the athletic, you know, kind of that that space that has been so fruitful for him and for all of us as well. So I'm glad you threw that in there because I would have forgotten about that. But massive shout to Sam and Paul and all the work they've done on allocation disorder. That's going to do it for another week of MLS Bench. We'll be back next week. Similar pod, recap CCL. We'll know who's in the quarterfinals. Recap another week of MLS as it just continues to heat up and heat up in American soccer. Thank you, Andres, uh, for yet another week. 
And we will be back next week, listeners. Thank you so much for listening. And if you want to help out the podcast, you can download, rate, review, all that podcast stuff, retweet on Twitter. We really appreciate all your help and most of all for your listenership. So until next week, enjoy life, enjoy the beautiful game, and we will see you then.